0: If you're a TikTok user in the US, you may be understandably confused about the fate of your app. TikTok's getting banned. Oh, no!
1: Never mind. No, it's not. Hooray! Now, it's only being banned like a little bit. Just kidding. It's being banned a lot.
0: The video sharing app has 150 million users in the US. That is almost half of the entire American population. Donald Trump first tried to ban it in 2020. That attempt failed. But TikTok has since been prohibited from all federal government devices. And now, lawmakers are pursuing a nationwide ban with new vigour.
2: That's what this bill does that we have before us today. It goes right at the problem. It bans TikTok in this country.
0: Both Democrats and Republicans are united in the belief that TikTok poses a real security threat. They're concerned the app is controlled by the Chinese government, who can use it to spy on users or manipulate them. But TikTokers have their own
3: theories. TikTok is the most powerful tool to ever be put in the hands of the people,
1: and that's why the government wants to ban it. A lot of us are banning together, talking to each other, sharing information that they don't want to be shared.
2: The only reason why this is
3: happening is because TikTok is destroying Facebook and Google. Right now, every news station is spreading this blatant lie.
1: Mark Zuckerberg is insane if he thinks that the ban on TikTok is going to bring all those customers back to him.
0: Users blame big government, the media, Google, and Mark Zuckerberg as they lament the potential loss of their favorite social media platform. And for many of them, their source of income. But how worried should they be? You're listening to Money Talks from The Economist, our weekly podcast on the markets, the economy, and the world of business. In Washington, D.C., I'm Alice Forward.
4: In Singapore, I'm Mike Bird. In New York, I'm Tom Lee Devlin.
0: And in today's show, the US government's TikTok
5: flip flop. First, we'll hear how the US has already tried to ban the app once and failed.
2: There are concerns about whether that violated the First Amendment, which guarantees the right to free expression.
4: Then we'll explore what the big fuss is about. What devious purpose is China accused of using TikTok for anyway?
3: Beijing is building a network of influencers, so-called tankies, people whose views are completely in line with the Communist Party.
0: And finally... We'll look at what options are on the table for the US government to neutralize
1: an app that is currently used by half of their voters. Nobody wants to be the bad guy. Nobody wants to take the blame. Everybody points the finger to each other. But I do think somebody's going to have to do something.
0: Mike, Tom, hello. Hi, Alice. Hey, Alice. What are you up to in New York then, Tom?
4: Oh, well, you know, just the usual. Catching up with some sources, talking to some people. Working on some stories. Cryptic, cryptic, engagingly cryptic.
0: That was, that was cryptic. As cryptic as the relationship between TikTok and the Chinese Communist Party. <laughs> <laughs> and that relationship is the subject of our show today. We are talking about TikTok again. Lots has changed since the episode that we ran about a year ago when we looked at who should be afraid of TikTok and decided that it was probably the big US social media giants like Facebook that had the most to fear from TikTok's rising dominance.
5: A few weeks ago, TikTok CEO was in front of Congress, testifying, facing some pretty difficult questions from US legislators. But substantially more importantly than that, we saw UK TikToker Sam Ryder breaking out of the app and onto the stage, becoming the UK's Eurovision Song Contest entry last year. And coming second, which is very good for the UK. If you're American or from anywhere else in the world outside of Europe and you don't know what the Eurovision Song Contest is, don't look it up. It's just embarrassment for us if you find out what we get up to when you're not paying attention. But it's a musical feat almost unheard of in the UK in this day and age. So in a way, you could argue the British have a lot to thank TikTok for at the moment.
4: I have to confess, I'm not a big TikTok user, but I do occasionally succumb to the time sink that is Instagram's Reels. And I have to say, I can see why people like it. There is some absolutely hilarious stuff on there. Sadly, I don't have a pet myself, but I do feel like I get my animal fix watching videos of other people's cats and dogs doing absolutely bonkers things.
0: And pet videos or song contest entries might seem pretty innocuous, but... Over the last year, there's also been heightened alarm about TikTok and the possible security risks posed by its links to China. So to find out more about that, I'd like to bring in Alexandra Suic-Bass. She's The Economist's Senior Correspondent for Politics, Technology and Society and has been covering this story for us. Alexandra, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So first up, Can you give us just a sense of how big the app is in America?
2: Yes. We know that about 150 million Americans use TikTok. It's grown very quickly in the last five years or so. And people spend about 82 minutes a day on TikTok, which is more than Facebook and Instagram combined, The rapid growth of TikTok and its popularity, especially among young people, have made this a very fraught question of whether politicians should prize their own popularity and continuing to allow an app that is so popular with Americans to grow, or if they should prioritize national security concerns, because those have only been growing.
0: Right. So the app is massive now. It's grown very quickly. If we turn back the clock a few years before it, it become such a big deal in the US, there were already these concerns. The Trump administration did try to ban TikTok a few years ago. So what happened there?
2: That got held up in the courts and their concerns about whether banning through executive order like Trump, tried to do, whether that violated the First Amendment, which guarantees the right to free expression. And at that point, the concerns were really theoretical about how the Chinese government, through TikTok's parent company, ByteDance, might be able to manipulate users or interfere in users' privacy. There are two things that make this debate about TikTok very different today than it was in the Trump administration. The first is that there have actually been some Very real threats that have been unearthed about how TikTok is run. The app admitted that they have surveilled journalists to try and figure out journalist sources. And so there are very clear privacy issues there. The other thing that's happened is that more governments are sounding the alarm about TikTok. So this is not just a U.S. concern now. We've seen countries all around the world restrict government workers access to the app. And then states are also taking up the mantle. And the state of Montana has gone the farthest. It's actually attempting to ban the app. The legislature has recently passed that bill and it's on the governor's desk to sign. This is of course is much more complicated to do than it might sound given that the state of Montana does not have perimeters around it that would easily allow for the app to be blocked. But Washington is also debating this. So I think that it's absolutely worth watching what's happening in Washington and also what's happening in the States.
0: And you mentioned that we've had more evidence of potential real threats posed by the app. And in America, that seems to have made TikTok and the concerns around it more of a bipartisan issue. President Biden, a Democrat, suggested that TikTok might be a national security risk. What are the possible solutions or avenues that this could go down?
2: There are three courses of action. One would be nothing changes. The second would be that there's a divestment of TikTok that's forced. So a sale to a U.S. company or oversight by a U.S. company. And then the third is an outright ban. The Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States has been in negotiation with ByteDance over basically the question of oversight. And so ByteDance and TikTok have been proposing a halfway solution where another company like Oracle is able to have access. So how some of the data and this is meant to assure U.S. politicians and users that there's not a privacy or safety issue regarding U.S. data. A key problem is the Oracle would not necessarily have access to the algorithms. And those who are proposing that the solution does more, i.e. force an outright sale to the U.S. company, have been met with tremendous resistance by the Chinese who have said that they would rather pull out of the U.S. than sell TikTok to another company. That may ultimately force politicians' hands to pursue the ban option. And if politicians decide to go down that road, there are several ways to do that. But the one that's getting the most support right now is a proposal called the Restrict Act. It's been introduced by Mark Warner, a U.S. senator. It has backing from 11 other senators from both parties. And what it tries to do is hand more power to the Commerce Department to restrict or ban products from foreign adversaries, which would include China. So it would not explicitly ban TikTok, but it would hand the keys to the federal government to do so. Because right now, one of the debates about the problems of banning TikTok hinges on the fact that this would get caught up in the courts and restrict free expression and violate the First Amendment. So the Restrict Act is designed to circumnavigate that.
0: Thank you so much for getting us up to speed, Alexandra. We are going to pause there for a moment, but please do stick around as we'd like to talk to you again before the end of the show. Absolutely. To find out why both Democrats and Republicans, as well as many other governments around the world, all seem to consider TikTok such a security threat, I spoke to Matthew Johnson He's a China security analyst and co-author of a report submitted to the Australian government in March that looks at the relationship between TikTok, its parent company ByteDance, and the Chinese Communist Party. Hello, Matthew. Welcome to the show.
3: Thank you very much, Alice. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So you recently wrote a report about the links between TikTok and ByteDance, and the Chinese Communist Party. So what does that report tell us about what's already known or is suspected about TikTok and its parent company's links to the CCP?
3: The main findings of that report are that, one, there's really no separation between TikTok, the entity that exists globally, and ByteDance, the company that exists primarily in Beijing. And is an app and artificial intelligence innovator. And secondarily, but probably more importantly, that what this means is that Chinese Communist Party control in terms of content moderation, in terms of a global propaganda strategy, and in terms of even mass surveillance on a global scale is basically embedded in the TikTok app.
0: Can we pick up on one of the elements you mentioned there, which is that TikTok is ostensibly a privately owned company. You know, it's owned by ByteDance. So could you explain how you think that entity is potentially controlled by the CCP?
3: Sure. So on that front, one of the main findings in the research was that basically starting in around 2017, ByteDance began transitioning into a new identity as a much more party controlled company. And we mean that both in terms of ownership, But also there are a lot of other mechanisms through which the party exerts control at the corporate level. So also including the creation of party structures inside of the company, this meant the appointment of a party secretary, Zhang Fuping, who has the external role of chief editor of the company. And so the control of the party exists basically on two levels. One is in terms of being able to shape decision-making at the board level, then also with regard to how the company itself runs on a day-to-day basis.
0: And has there been anything explicit from Chinese leadership about their plans for TikTok or the ways that you're suggesting that they might use it?
3: Sure. Well, some of the most, I think, important evidence that we found started with Xi Jinping talking specifically about short video apps being tools of external propaganda we were also able to uncover people's daily articles talking about ByteDance and TikTok more broadly, speaking to global audiences and carrying China's message. And then finally, we have found key executives of the ByteDance parent company, including its founder and including its chief editor, Zhang Fuping, who I just mentioned, talking about the importance of bringing the content that exists on the platform into line with party frameworks.
1: Do we
0: have any evidence from sort of inside the app itself about ways in which the CCP might have made use of this control? What does it look like from the TikTok side?
3: We made a limited but I think important cyber forensic analysis of the app itself, looking basically at two dimensions. One being the permissions that the app is privy to on devices that use it. And so what we found there was compared with other social media apps. TikTok's basically a fairly insecure app that has the potential to access other sensitive functions of one's personal device or other data on the device. Secondarily, but more importantly, we found that the way that the search results behave was consistent with how we anticipated that the Chinese Communist Party would want China's policies to be portrayed via social media. So, you know, we looked at incidents that are sensitive in the context of the party. So we looked at ethnic policy, we looked at religious policy, and TikTok stood out far and away as the most compliant with party external messaging strategy of, of any of the social media platforms that we looked at. But I think at the same time, I see very strong evidence that. Beijing is building a network of influencers, so-called tankies, people whose views are completely in line with the Communist Party and who are embedded in TikTok in ways that provide content to the app. Some very bizarre influencers, people who have huge numbers of follows and you can't understand why they have them. And all of this stuff looks transparently engineered. So I don't think that the strategy is just the app. There's a content strategy as well.
0: Could we pick up on one of the other risks that people think potential CCP control or influence over TikTok might have, which is the ability of the Chinese authorities to access user data? So how, on the scale of which things we should be most concerned about, where does this rank in your view and how big a risk is that?
3: Yeah, compared to the other risks that I've mentioned, we saw it as potentially higher harm, but lower likelihood. And that, to be fair, we didn't, uncover any evidence of a mass surveillance scheme, simply that the app might have that potential. The, The much stronger evidence in terms of actual behavior was on the narrative shaping and propaganda side.
0: Matthew, thank you so much for joining the show. It's been a
3: pleasure. Thank you very much, Alice.
0: We asked TikTok to respond to the findings of the report that were outlined there by Matthew Johnson. Their spokesperson gave us this statement.
3: These claims are both inaccurate and unfounded. TikTok is enjoyed by over a billion people around the world safely and securely. And the additional data security measures we are introducing in the US and Europe are industry-leading, going beyond anything other peer companies are doing to keep user data secure.
0: They also went on to say that TikTok is led by an executive team in the US, Singapore and Dublin, while ByteDance is a private company not controlled by the CCP. They say their algorithm does not have a pro-China bias, saying that you can find plenty of content critical of the CCP on their app. And TikTok also says it has no greater access to personal data than any other peer app. It also pointed us to some independent reports to that effect. And finally, it told us that the individuals behind the surveillance of journalists are no longer with the company. So with all that in mind, Tom, Mike, what do you make of what we've heard so far?
4: I mean, I'm still kind of reeling from the numbers that Alexandra gave earlier. Half of Americans use TikTok and the average user spends 82 minutes a day on the app. I mean, that is a lot of time being sunk. And it's actually an incredible testament to just how much people like this app. On the question of the ban, it is interesting that these concerns over hoovering up data and nudging user behavior have also been leveled at. America's social media companies. That's the whole thesis of Shoshana Zubov's hefty tome, Surveillance Capitalism from a few years back. I suppose what's different with TikTok is the anxiety around the ends that the company is pursuing. So Meta and Snap and other American social media companies have pretty squarely commercial motives. But there seems to be this question mark over whether TikTok is only after money or whether they're also trying to shift public opinion or snoop on people. Uh, It doesn't seem to me at the moment like there's overwhelming evidence on that just yet, but I suppose the question is how easily it could be done if they chose to. So
5: I always think whenever we talk about TikTok that there's this obvious cost issue here in the idea of banning or discontinuing it. If TikTok was everywhere else in the world today, but it hadn't been released into the US, for example, there is absolutely no way that American legislators would be happy for it to start. The problem is that this is hugely popular. Social media now, lots of people make a lot of money with it. So there's a major downside to the idea of shutting it down. And for me, that's really interesting because the whole conversation gets right to the core of two questions – The first is whether a Chinese company, like Dance in this case, at the forefront of an industry is ever really private and how much the Chinese government influences them and is able to use their clout internationally for their own ends. And the second is whether whatever the answer to that first question The American government can essentially stomach the idea of having a privately run Chinese company at the forefront of some industry operating in the US in the way that TikTok does now.
4: So, there's a lot of interest at the moment in TikTok's owner ByteDance, but it's not the only fast-growing Chinese tech company. In fact, in the paper this week, Don Wineland, our China business and finance editor, has an excellent piece on China's next wave of unicorns, which I'm very much looking forward to reading. How about you both? What are you looking forward to in this week's paper?
0: Yes, I'm excited to read a piece by another Tom at the paper, Tom Bennett, on the moment that private equity finds itself at. It was sort of a booming industry that thrived in the era of low rates. And now with interest rates having risen, it's finding itself in a slightly trickier patch where it's a bit more difficult to get deals done. And he is sort of tackling the question of what comes next for the private equity industry, which has been somewhat humbled by recent times.
5: Listeners can read all of that and more with a minimal amount of surreptitious surveillance on our port for free by going to economist.com forward slash podcast offer. You can get yourself a free 30-day digital subscription. That is if you are not a subscriber already.
0: After the break, we'll hear what options US lawmakers actually have to ban or at least limit TikTok. Before the break, we heard about some of the evidence which suggests that the links that TikTok and its parent company have with the Chinese Communist Party constitute a very real security risk to the US. TikTok has said that the links are simply not there. But whether those fears are well-founded or not, there is an unusual level of cross-party support for banning TikTok. Still, things like that are easier said than done. So to look at what options US lawmakers have to push through a successful ban or at least restricts the app in a meaningful way, I spoke to Nazak Nikaktar. She's now a lawyer at Wiley, but before that worked for the U.S. Commerce Department during the Trump presidency. Hello, Nazak. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining
1: us. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Attempts to resolve the TikTok issue through corporate dealmaking have fallen somewhat flat. So can we talk about the legislative paths available to America, seeing as it now looks like a ban is back on the table?
1: I don't love the solution that the U.S. government pursued, which was, you know, let's just ban the app stores from allowing users to download this app. The problem there is that, you know, as a lawyer, I'll tell you, actions like this that could be deemed as sort of arbitrary, capricious, a violation of First Amendment rights, because... TikTok has users, content, artistic expression, those things get enjoined. So you want to kind of pursue something that's injunction proof and durable, because what's the point of something getting enjoined by the courts? Basically, the courts blocking action by the federal agencies until it hears the full litigation and gets the case brief and you survive appeals. Action's not going to happen for years and years and years.
0: And that was the problem with the
1: executive order that President Trump tried to use to ban TikTok, right? So this U.S. government has an executive order that was issued in May 2019 that allows the U.S. government to restrict telecom transactions with foreign adversaries, China, Russia, being designated as foreign adversaries. The little problem with that authority is that there's this thing called the Berman Amendment. And the Berman Amendment essentially says, "Okay, President, you can regulate foreign transactions at the time of peace, but you can't touch artistic expression because that is essentially a First Amendment right. So we have this authority that Trump issued in 2019, President Biden's endorsed, but you can't really use that to regulate TikTok because of this fear that there's a First Amendment issue, that's it's going to get enjoined by the courts. So that system isn't working. So then Congress, Senator Warner and Senator Thune correctly come out and say, okay, I've got to take President Trump's executive order, President Biden's endorsed it, make it into legislation, the Restrict Act. The authority is essentially the same. It allows the president to restrict telecom-type transactions with foreign adversaries. Now, the hope in Washington, D.C., is that the Restrict Act is going to be used to ban TikTok. Okay. well, let's hypothetically say, what if it is? Because now it's in statute. It's stronger than just an executive order. Yeah, but ByteDance TikTok can still litigate it and get an injunction claiming First Amendment rights.
0: So if the problem with these sort of various potentially quite draconian bans or other legislative solutions is that they will be challenged under sort of First Amendment grounds, then what can be done? Are there any solutions that aren't weak to that potential challenge?
1: Absolutely. So when we're looking at TikTok, right, what are we regulating? We're not regulating the content, Right. We're not regulating the videos. We're just regulating the app. We just don't want a digital platform posted by a foreign adversary to collect users' data. And if you actually separate the content from the actual digital platform, then it becomes really evident that wait a second, I don't think we have a First Amendment issue. Because all of those videos, all of the artistic expression, it can go on YouTube, it can go on Facebook, it could go on sort of new emerging type of apps. And when you're just looking at, can I regulate a digital platform like this? Well, I think you can survive the First Amendment challenges. So how do we make this clear for the courts? I'm an advocate of proposing legislation that makes amply clear that the U.S. government has the ability, unambiguous ability, to regulate digital apps hosted by foreign adversary nations and make expressly clear in legislation that that is not protected speech, that is not subject to First Amendment. That's the first thing. If you do that, you can then use the Restrict Act to ban TikTok. If Byte Dance TikTok, try to enjoin it, get an injunction in the courts to prohibit the federal government from carrying this out. I think the courts are gonna look at the statute and say, oh, well, wait a second you know what, this is right. It's a digital platform. We're not restricting the free speech, which is actually the content. And we can allow the government to move forward with this restriction.
0: Another avenue you have suggested might be available is to put TikTok on the commerce department's entity list. And this is something the US government did to the Chinese telecom giant Huawei several years ago. So how
1: would that work? The entity list essentially prohibits exports of good software and technology to the designated entity. So let's say, hypothetically, we designate ByteDance to this entity list. That means exports of software are going to be regulated and prohibited by the US government. That means that if you have your app on your phone, you won't be able to upgrade your app with uh, user updates because that involves an export of software. And had we done that, Several years ago, as I was advocating back then, then the app, without being able to be upgraded, would have kind of atrophied over time, and we would have had a much more impact. It's a much less aggressive step, and it's not a bad idea. It allows safe users, safe providers to come into the ecosystem and provide their offerings as users are looking for an alternative to migrate away.
0: Okay. And I guess the final question then, what do you think is going to happen? We've talked about all these sort of various solutions that might work or not work. What do you think
1: TikTok will be in three years? What will have happened to it? The cat's out of the bag. The US government across the board on a bipartisan basis has said TikTok's existence and presence in the US is an enormous threat to national security. We can't walk that back. Once you say it like that, you're going to have to act. But fundamentally, we have in Washington very often, the situation where Congress and the executive branch are pointing the finger at each other. Nobody wants to be the bad guy. Nobody wants to take the blame. Everybody points the finger to each other. But I do think somebody's going to have to do something. And I anticipate we're going to probably see strong action within the next year.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Nazek. thank you so much for joining the show. It's been a real pleasure.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And it's time to bring back Alexandra Suchbass.
2: Hello
0: again. So no one wants to be the bad guy in this scenario. There is an important young demographic here, which will be sort of disproportionately affected by any TikTok ban. And this must be something that's on politicians' minds, especially ahead of the 2024 election. So what do you expect is going to happen? Is it likely that we're going to see anything before the election?
2: I think we're more likely to see action sooner rather than later. The closer to the election we get, the more likely it is that people aren't going to want to act on something that's sure to rile up young voters. It's the wrong type of attention that politicians who are wanting to seek re-election would be getting. And this is a place where you see a really interesting divide between Democrats and Republicans. Some Democrats do feel that using TikTok effectively can give them an electoral advantage with young voters. So there is a hesitation to do something that would really alienate potential voters. We heard Gina Raimondo, the Commerce Secretary, say this outright, where she said, the politician in me thinks that we could lose every voter under 35 forever if they were to pursue a TikTok ban. That's not to say it's out of the question, but I do think there are real political concerns that lurk behind the scenes or outright in the light as people consider this.
0: So obviously, sort of users of the app would suffer if it were banned. Politicians might not do so well out of it either. What about who stands to benefit here? Is it the other sort of large social media companies? A lot of them are American. So is this another case of encouraging the promotion of American companies or by America, but perhaps under a different guise?
2: Well, I think it's hard to argue that there are not protectionist impulses at work, but American politicians who are in favor of a ban would retort that China holds American companies to very different standards than America holds Chinese companies to. And TikTok, as it exists in America, isn't even allowed in China. And China puts controls on time limits and users' age to an extent that it has not historically done in the U.S. That said, if it were to be banned, there are potentially large ramifications for U.S. companies. Facebook and other social media companies like Snapchat have already seen attention from young people be sapped away from their platforms as people are spending more time on TikTok. And interestingly, they've also seen their advertising rates decline as TikTok has ultimately contributed to lower ad rates. And so American companies that compete with TikTok directly could stand to benefit. They would stand to see both attention and profitability increase. So that's what could
0: happen. And what about what you think will happen? Do you think that there will be a ban?
2: History suggests there won't. I have been covering tech companies and the political outrage that's directed at them for many years. And for all the hearings and bipartisan agreement on the ills caused by large tech companies, we haven't seen any action yet. That's particularly meaningful as it relates to restraining tech companies' movements. And so, My guess would be that we're unlikely to see a ban, but I would say that there's a lot of buzz and conversation about this that makes it worth watching in Washington. And it'll be fascinating to see how it plays out. Yes, I
0: completely agree. Thank you so much for your time, Alexandra. It's been great having you with us on Money Talks.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So, Mike, Tom, after what you've heard... How do you rate TikTok's prospects in America?
5: So I was thinking about the position that I had on this the last time we talked about TikTok. And sadly, I think I've gotten a little bit more sceptical and pessimistic in the time since. I really, really struggle to see... How, in the context of the US China relationship now, you look at our cover a few weeks ago, essentially, we're, we're talking about this relationship just getting worse and worse at being at the sort of most strained levels in several decades. You've really got to wonder how long TikTok's American business in particular can possibly survive that climate. Everything on that front is just getting worse. It's really now the single element, as we discussed earlier, that unites the two American political parties or rather that they even try and sort of one up each other on. So, yeah, I struggle to see the prospects. And I think the recent bans on government employees using TikTok on government owned phones really reminded me of Huawei, where restrictions started off very narrow and minor and became increasingly all encompassing. I think to some extent, all of this is a huge shame. I'm very, very skeptical about the most bearish presentations of what TikTok does, in large part because if you've ever seen any Chinese government propaganda, you will be aware that it's not famous for its mastery of guile and subtlety. But I think at this point, sadly, it's all too far gone, and it's very difficult in my mind to imagine this surviving Another few years, or however long it takes, of sort of worsening relations between China and the US.
4: Yeah, I think I'm with you there, Mike. If TikTok does get banned, one company that I think is going to be absolutely laughing is Meta, who has lost tons of sales to its Chinese rival despite its efforts around its Reels copycat. And I'm sure that Mark Zuckerberg is also delighted by the fact that his company is no longer seen as the kind of bad guy in tech that it was a few years ago. It is interesting as well that the whole antitrust element to this, which was such a big focus a few years ago around social media, has really been missing from the debate almost entirely.
0: Yeah, there are sort of two interesting elements to this. One is obviously the sort of tech policy and tech industry dynamics. And as Alexandra pointed out, American lawmakers have tried repeatedly to do things with tech policy, whether that's antitrust concerns or concerns that these platforms have become sort of too big and too powerful and they need to be sort of regulated more tightly. And essentially, those efforts have always fallen flat. They've never really been able to get anything off the ground from a tech perspective. And so if you think about TikTok in that context, you think, well, maybe they won't get their act together again. But obviously, the concerns about TikTok are these sort of national security risks that it poses. And I agree with Mike that some of the arguments people make for just how much TikTok is controlled by the CCP do seem a bit far-fetched. But there is sort of enough evidence for people to be concerned. That sort of debate is already pretty far gone. People seem united behind the idea that it does pose a threat. And so they do want to do something about it. And when you think about TikTok from that national security perspective or from that rivalry with China perspective, the US has done an awful lot on all of those policy issues over the past several years, whether that's the trade war or what happened with Huawei. And so from that perspective, I agree with Mike that it does seem a bit too far gone. And the US probably will end up sort of taking some pretty severe action against TikTok in the end. With that, we should probably turn to our stats of the week. Tom, why don't you go first?
4: Happy to. So my start of the week is 16, which is the number of regulators that took an interest in Microsoft's acquisition of gaming company Activision Blizzard, which it launched the process for back at the start of last year. And the reason that that statistic is relevant again now is that the CMA which is Britain's regulator, has just announced that it is going to block the deal, which is potentially a massive spanner in the works for what would be a $69 billion transaction that would shake up the gaming world. And I think this is a fascinating case in point for just how difficult it's become to make these big industry-changing acquisitions happen in a world where regulators are no longer as tightly aligned in their thinking as they were a couple of decades ago. Yeah, I guess it's a pretty
5: big deal when you're as valuable a company as Microsoft is and you have to get permission from basically every regulator in the world to complete an acquisition like that. My stat of the week is something completely different, and it's 2056. It is a year before anyone goes on at me about this not being a statistic. I am cheating slightly. But it's the latest estimate from the Japanese government as to when the country's population will drop below 100 million, which I thought was really interesting. It's very, very little change from the last one, which was actually slightly earlier the demographers think Japan will have slightly more immigration, but also a lower birth rate. For context, Japan's population right now, about 125 million. It's down from a peak of about 128 million in about 15 years ago. So you can see the sort of drop is going to accelerate a fair bit, and we're going to have a much more elderly Japan than the one we know right now.
0: I don't know who I would be to rib you about your stat not really being a stat because one of my stats was once a plank of wood. So I'll let you get away with having a year.
5: (laughs) I'm glad you reminded everyone of that because that was particularly bad.
0: But this week, I have uh, stuck to the rules. My stat is actually a statistic. It is $74 billion, which is the change in short term borrowing at First Republic Bank in the first quarter. So that's the borrowing that the bank does to fund itself. And the bank published its results on Monday night in the US and it revealed that it had lost $100 million in deposits, which is about two thirds of its balance sheet. And it had to replace basically all of those deposits by borrowing either from the Fed or from another Fed. Federal body. And this statistic, sort of more than almost anything else that they published, really convinced me that they are hanging on to life by the thinnest of threads. All of that borrowing is much more expensive than those deposits, which is going to make it almost impossible for them to dig themselves out of the hole that lending a load of money at low interest rates created for them.
4: So uh, maybe another banking episode (laughs) on the horizon then, Alice?
0: Yeah, maybe we'll spare listeners a fourth episode about banks in as many months. But uh, I'll come back with my uh, terrible statistics next week. And with that, I would like to bring this episode to a close by thanking Matthew Johnson and Nazak Nikhtar.
4: And thank you for listening to Money Talks. Don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts.
5: And you can always write to us at podcasts
4: at
0: Today's show was produced by Marie Keyworth and Lawrence Knight.
4: Our sound engineer is Ting Lee Lim, and the executive producer
5: is Marguerite Howell.
0: I'm Alice Forward.
5: I'm Tom Lee Devlin. I'm Mike Bird.
0: And this is The Economist.